Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So a little funny story is that we tried to shoot this bad boy episode two days ago and we had technical difficulties, which is always a funny thing when you're a podcaster and you start to do these live podcasts that anything could happen. You know, a baby could be crying in the background. Someone could accidentally slip out a fart out of nowhere and not even know what's going on. So, you know... (laughs) We're here now and we're live and hopefully the connections will be moving as they should. So going back to to this individual that that we're interviewing today, right? I'm going to name him the screening boss and we're going to be talking about several different things and how how, how he even got that title and, and why did he go from one industry to the next. But, you know, kind of going a little backstory. I met this individual through Donnie, which you guys probably remember from season two and from like um, Success Champions Networking and Success Summit, where I spoke at last year. This is Donnie's older brother. Now, I always say that younger brothers get more badass from their older brothers beating their ass over a period of time. So, Keith, why don't you give us a little bit more about who you are and kind of tell us a little bit how you used to, you know, beat your brother's ass from time to time. And as soon as I say that, the network goes out. <laughs> it's hilarious. You gotta love the internet. All right, let's see. We can get. And of course, as soon as you say technical difficulty, it happens. <laughs> the the exact same thing they told me wasn't going to happen just happens, so and now we're good for an hour. <laughs> Well, so let's just go ahead and tell everybody a little bit more about you, Keith. Oh, thanks, thanks uh, for having me having me on. Um, Keith Bovine uh, was in the medical sales uh, disposable device industry for over 27 years. Uh, the last 10 to 15 years spent at an executive uh, level, uh, sales education, sales training, sales leadership, and things like that. Uh, for 27 years, I had decided to get out of the medical industry. Um, and get into backgrounds. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, over in the Tampa, Florida area had uh, uh, an idea about uh, a company that he wanted to acquire and had me do some research. Mm-hmm. And we uh, joined forces and uh, created and developed uh, Easy Actus. And uh, we've had uh, a lot of fun with this. This has been the most amazing journey uh, in my life. I, first time being an entrepreneur. And, uh, and like you said earlier, you know, being part of the SCM, uh, networking chapter has uh, introduced me to some incredible people like yourself. So it's it's been a great journey. Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, like, like all the things you can get into, I mean, obviously, you know, coming from like a general sales background and having other opportunities in your career. And I know you're saying that your friend kind of put it on your lap, but I mean, all of us have these friends that come to us from time to time and say, hey, I got this new idea or I got this new thing. So why did this particular day, did you say yes to that friend about what you're doing now? Uh, you know, it's, it's the past history, you know, we, we, especially me being in a position where I was hiring a lot of individuals uh, across the country, the background check was uh, a tool that we utilized um, and to disqualify uh, specific people. And there were instances where we hired the person we thought we were, was the right choice only to have the background check come back and tell us that for one reason or another, they were ineligible to be hired for the company. Um, one of them was a very close friend of mine. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that person had a DUI from 17 years ago. And since we had company vehicles, uh, the insurance would not cover her. Uh, so we, we didn't have a choice not to hire her. So it got me thinking, though, <clears throat> when I started looking into background checks, you know, wh- what what is in a background check? And, and when I started doing the research and figuring out how many background checks are actually being done on a monthly basis and, and, and what goes into them and, and the information that comes out, uh, I made a lot of phone calls into old uh, colleagues and friends and asked them, do you run background checks? And they, you know, they're all saying, of course we do. All right, great. What information do you get? And they're like, we don't know. And it was very overwhelming for me to hear that most companies don't know what they're actually pulling as far as information. Um, so I think that's what got the push for me to get into this was to help educate the market, uh, help educate the customers, um, 
you know, and I can sit here and tell you all day long the, the different ambiances and everything else about background checks. But um, for this company, what people are getting is me and my passion to jump in and learn, educate, figure out what your business is, what your business does, uh, and then put together some packages that uh, fit exactly with what you're looking for. And that's the part I enjoy the most is creating those relationships and, uh, and helping other companies succeed. So, I mean, with that, I mean, I think you have an, another little niche on top of that. I mean, obviously, there are just companies out there that, that do what you do, but you have more of an unfair advantage where you kind of own the software in addition to it. Right? Yeah, that is correct. So out of about 1,300 companies here in the United States, uh, only 1% own the software that allows you to actually do the background check. So we have quite a few customers that are background check companies themselves that utilize our software for their background checks. Um, we, we've ran into some situations too with uh, some large companies based outside the United States. Um, even the largest company in this space um, do not have any US-based customer service. Um, so you're calling call centers in South America or India or um, Philippines or other places around the country and you're trying to talk to somebody about a problem and they're reading from a screen. So when we set this up, we have actually have live customer service um, 7 a.m., 7 p.m., Monday through Friday, you're getting a live software technician. Uh, and then we have 24-7 uh, chat support, a chat feature inside your admin site. So you're talking to somebody. Um, owning the software allows us to do things faster, uh, less inexpensive. Uh, and, 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 and we get a lot of information back to these companies um, for that reason. So. So, I mean, you, you brought up the keyword of, of expenses and, and this is kind of like, you know, we had talked about this before, but I mean, like on average nationally, like how many background checks are being done on a month to month basis? So the research we found, uh, there's close to a billion background uh, checks being done uh, here in the United States every single month. And when you stop and think about who's doing a background check, uh, you'll understand where those numbers come from. And, you know, just look at the education uh, world and, you know, teachers and admin staffs and volunteers, youth sports organizations, you know, things like that, let alone just employment companies and things like that. So our software currently handles uh, just under 1.2 million background searches a month. Um, we also don't require any contracts. So with a lot of companies to drive that pricing down, they require a three to five year commitment with a certain volume level. <laughs> we don't believe in that. Um, you can, log in, you can register your account, and uh, you can start and stop whenever you want. There is no contract. You can run one report a year, you can run 10,000 a week. There's no small, medium, large, you know, we, we want every customer to come in and enjoy the platform. Um, I, I want to educate you and train you on how easy the platform is to use. So um, I, I, it's funny because a lot of people ask me all the time, is this customer too small for you? And I'm like, no way. I, you know, I've got customers that run three background checks a year. And uh, and I enjoy teaching them just as much as I enjoy teaching you know, anybody else. Hmm. So, you, you, so like, what's the average price for a background check? Well, in, in this market, 80% uh, of our background checks are what we call a basic background check, which is pulling the minimal information hmm. uh, to, to hire an employee. Uh, the average industry average for that's around $35. And it takes three to five days to turn around. Um, the cost from us is $9.95. We guarantee that background check back to you in 24 hours or less. And right now, our average turnaround time is just under four hours. Okay, so, so for the number of people out there, right, so for the accountants and the CPAs that are listening to these numbers and he's nonchalantly saying it, let me just recap a little bit. So he said maybe roughly around 1.5 million transactions per month. Average transaction is about $30 per month. Your net from that is essentially $25 because, you, you, you know, you, you give or take. So roughly you're, you're telling me that you're grossing somewhere around like $25 million per month. Well, that's not totally accurate because remember, a lot of our uh, customers are, are actually background check companies. So okay. when they're 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 doing business with us in bulk, you know, think of us like a Sam's Club. Okay. Uh, so when we have large wholesale customers, obviously their pricing uh, goes way down from there. Um, but when we're going direct to the consumer, um, we have the most competitive pricing in the market, and 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 yeah, still, I mean, we're still creating. Uh, a, a lot of monthly revenue through this, yeah. which just allows us to do a lot of great things, allows us to, you know, be in touch with the, the customers and allows us to have that customer live customer service team that's based here. And, 
live chat support 24 7 365 so a lot of cool things we, we were able to do with that yeah yeah i mean I, you know the hearing hearing you write off these numbers and, and i'm analyzing like this data is kind of like who would have thought that that industry would have been so lucrative like i mean when yeah. you went into it did you know that did you know that okay this is going to be a million or tens of million dollar opportunity or was that something that you learned as you went up went, went, went no it's definitely something definitely something we learned as we um as we got into uh, this industry. So we didn't realize the amount of volume. Uh, we didn't realize the, 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 the depth of the background checks people would get into. I mean, they're, you know, even though we have very inexpensive way to conduct a background check, we still have companies that pay us over $150 for a single background because of the amount of information that they are looking for. And it all depends on the industry that you're in. It depends on the level of the position you're applying for. So if you're the CEO of a fortune 500 company, they're going to spend two or three hundred dollars to do their homework on that applicant. If you're uh, an auto mechanic working for an oil change service, they're probably going to you know do a little bit less of a search on someone like that. So, so gotcha. A lot of factors go into it, which is which is why I love talking to people and finding out what they do, how they do it, and how we can help. So with the searches that you do, I mean, obviously, I would think you have local, you have national, and and do you have a global search? And obviously, is that a price difference between those search levels? There is a big pricing variance when you get leave the United States. We are truly a global company. Um, the only country that we cannot perform background checks in is North Korea. Um, outside of that, uh, every, every, everything is available. So uh, here in the United States, there's four uh, different levels of background checks. So you can run a nationwide criminal, you can run a statewide, you can run a certain county, or you can run a nationwide federal, wow. uh, which crosses over state lines and things like that. When we run those four criminal background checks, it always includes the District of Columbia, it includes Guam, it includes Puerto Rico. Um, but then we can go up into Canada, we can go down to Mexico, we can add those on uh, if that's necessary. And then if you have global sales reps, like a lot of these medical uh, device and manufacturing companies do, um, you've got international sales reps and we can perform those background checks on them as well. So, I mean, I get the next level of the question is, is like with the accuracy, right? I mean, obviously, in any system, there's always some loophole or backdoor or bending or breaking the rules. Like, how accurate are these reports? I mean, what room of error is available in them? Yeah, so what I tell people a lot is the, the people, especially the companies that own the software, right? We all pull the information from the same data. Um, so, you, we're contracting with the, the U.S. federal government, uh, the state uh, government agencies, counties, uh, the courthouses, and things like that. So, uh, we're all pulling data from the same information. Yeah, the difference is how fast you can do it, uh, how inexpensively you can do it, and, um, and then how you compile that information. So, when you're done, when you run one background that might have seven searches, all that comes back to you in one easy-to-read Excel or PDF format that you now have on an electronic file on that person. And I guess the next question is like, how current is it? I mean, let's say if I get a DUI on Tuesday on the first, when would that actually show up on the record? Dep it depends on the courts. So uh, in, in, in some of these backgrounds, you'll see, uh, even if it's a, if, if you were, even if that charge got dismissed, it would, it would still show up on certain reports. It would show up on some records that says you were charged with a DUI, even if it was dismissed, if it was a, a murder, if it was grand theft auto, whatever the chart might be, there are still reports that will show that you were actually charged. So, and it, the, the reports are pretty clear when it says charged, um, it'll, it'll tell you the finding, guilty, not guilty. Uh, it'll tell you if it's a misdemeanor, a felony, it'll tell you the date, time, court, any fines that were levied against you. Um, it's pretty, pretty definitive and accurate reporting on their end. So, and all we do is we, we go out and contract with, uh, you know, close to 70 different sources and we dig in and grab that information and data that's available and just bring it back to you. Nice. Very nice. So, I mean, I mean I'm just listening to you and, and, and it's funny that, that hearing you speak and you, you, first of all, you have passion about what you're doing. Second of all, you sound like you used to work for like the FBI or the CIA. So like, <laughs> let's just talk about like historically kind of like your background. Let's take it back to you as kids. You know, what was it like growing up with like your, your other brother and Donnie? What was that like? Yeah. So we, we, uh, we grew up on a farm in Kansas, uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And, um, you know, we grew up riding horses, hunting, fishing, uh, our closest neighbor was, uh, that had kids. Our age was a mile away. Uh, so, you know, we were riding our BMX bikes on gravel roads just to get 
down to the neighbor's house to be able to play. So a um, lot of responsibility growing up uh, with just, you know, the activity we had with the animals on the farm and everything else. Our, our dad drove a truck over the road. Our mom worked two jobs. Um, so we were, we were on our own quite a bit. So all three of us had a lot of responsibility at an early age. And I think that that defined our drive um, and our work ethic for the rest of our lives. So, um, you know, Donnie obviously has a very successful uh, success champion networking plus three or four of the companies that he runs. Our older brother retired from the Marine Corps after 25 years and is enjoying retirement, but he's still working his butt off with woodworking company, uh, something that he enjoys doing now. And uh, I've uh, somewhat semi-retired at the age of 47 and jumping into entrepreneurship here and uh, trying my hand at, uh, at this. So, you know, I think our background, the way we grew up, uh, really defined who we are and, and where we joke around a lot you know if you've seen me and donnie on the same zoom call at the same time we have we you know we're always you know slapping each other in the head and stuff but uh, we're a very close tight-knit family hmm. very interesting so i mean based on what you just said i heard two marines so were you a marine as well did you join the forces <laughs> i did not i i came out of high school and i joined the air force um and got into oh. medical medical uh supplies and drug purchasing so I had it. I had it very simple. Basic training was six weeks, and then I was in an air-conditioned hospital, um, and we had lobster once a month on the uh, in the mess hall. So uh, both my brothers give me obviously a lot of shit for, uh, <laughs> you know, for 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 being in the Air Force. But uh, uh, actually, the the funniest story I remember is when I got to my permanent duty station. My older brother called me base to base and asked me how often and how far we were running every morning as a platoon. And I said, if I'm late to work, I run to my truck because I drove to work. Um, just a, you know, a big difference in between the services. So um, enjoyed my time. And that is actually what led to me getting a job as a pharmacy tech, buying drugs and supplies in the hospital, and then actually getting into sales uh, later on. So I used that as a platform to uh, know the right people at the right time, right place, right opportunity, and then just taking a hold of that and, uh, and running with it. I think that that's absolutely damn crazy. Because I mean, if you think about it, just say if you're a native New Yorker, either you're the Mets or they're the Yankees, right? And, and, and they're in the same state, right? Like, like they're only like 20 miles apart. So Air Force, Army, Marines, they fall into that category. So for you to be the middle child in a, in a situation to where you're surrounded by Marines and you decided to go to the Air Force, either you're batshit crazy or you was bucking the system. Yeah, you know, I think I was, just, uh, and I still believe today that I am the absolute smartest of those three. Um, so I took the easy way out, and uh, it, it, I'm glad I did because it led me to the my career path, what it was today. So I didn't, I didn't want to be a mechanic. I didn't want to um, be a grunt. I didn't want to be carrying a machine gun. You know, so I, I looked at my options, and um, that was the best route for me, and uh, and, uh, and it, w it worked out really, really well. But we have, we have a huge history of uh, military service in our family. Our dad was in the Navy. Um, our uncle was in the uh, the Air Force as well. We've got grandparents that were all in you know World War II and some some really cool stories with them. And you know my kids, even on uh, their mom's side, they have uh, a great grandfather uh, who's in the Smithsonian. Uh, so he was on the USS Yorktown when it was sunk at the Battle of Midway. And, uh, really, really cool stories uh, from our, our family. Very cool. Very cool. So you came out of the Air Force and then you went into like the medical area. So like, like, how did that come to fruition? I mean, obviously you're growing up on a farm, you're running around riding horses, riding bicycles, you join the Air Force and then <laughs> medical. Yeah, so it's what I did in the military, and it's all I knew to do when I came out. I had no idea <clears throat> what career path I was going to take, and uh, so I was, I was, uh, I came out as a uh, licensed pharmacy tech, mm. and um, when an, a purchasing job opened up, uh, then I jumped at the opportunity because that was my background, what I was trained to do in the military. So I got a job with a long-term care pharmacy where we supplied drugs and supplies to nursing homes all over uh, the uh, southeast corner of uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And in uh, one day, uh, the, the rep that I bought medical devices from, uh, he just quit and didn't show up. And so the president of the company flew in the next day and took me to lunch to apologize, uh, told me he, he thought I had a great personality and thought that I could actually do this job. And so 30 days later, he put me into a sales position, which I had never done in my life, did no idea that it was a potential career. I had no idea what I was doing. And for the first 90 days, 
I hated it. And, uh, you know, no direction, no training. Um, it was just, hey, go do this. And so I, I made a promise to myself that, you know, I, I didn't really like sales reps when I was a buyer. So I made a promise to myself that, you know, I would become somebody that I, I would want to meet with somebody that, uh, you know, I enjoyed talking to and buying stuff from. And, and when I started developing relationships, that's when my career took off and things got much, much easier. So do you think that you were a direct influence on your brothers? Because, I mean, obviously, one, your brother is a hell of a salesman. So, I mean, who was the salesman first, you or him? Yeah, so I, I definitely was a salesman first. Um, and there a lot of stories of, of Donnie and I, you know, growing up in that in that era. Um, and um, I, I had tried to talk him into, because I had told everybody that I talked to, right? He Donnie has a, a, a bigger personality than I'll ever have. Uh, loud. Uh, proud in your face, knows his stuff. Um, and I told him a long time ago that this is the where he needs to get into, but you just don't walk into a door and say, Hey, I want to be a sales rep. Right. I mean, it's gotta be an opportunity. So when an opportunity came along for him, um, while he was bartending of all things, he jumped at it. And then he, I, I'll, I'll never forget. He called me and said he got a job in sales final finally. And, uh, it was in the print industry. And I'm like, you are an idiot. That is going to be the, the, the probably the single hardest thing you could have done, hmm. you know, but you got to take what opportunities are in front of you at that time. You know, you can't just walk in and be a medical device rep. Um, so uh, he took the opportunity. He ran with it. He, I mean, you know, his history and, and know what he did with it. Uh, and I think that's uh, an attribution to all three of us. I mean, if you, if you gave any of us a job as a janitor, uh, at any company, we'd be the number one janitor in that company by the end of the first 30 days, employee of the month, and probably get promoted and working our way up the, the company ladder. We don't we don't know any different. We don't know how to stop. We don't know how to slow down. We don't know how to, not to learn. So, um, again, I think, you know, the way we are raised and everything else has, has a lot to do with that. But, but yeah, I think I had a, a lot of influence on him in his early career. Uh, the tables have turned. And uh, he is now teaching me a lot of things. Um, you know, it's kind of humble when the younger brother who uh, has, you know, 10, 12 years less experience than you do is teaching you new tricks. It's, uh, it's a very humbling experience, but one that I have absolutely enjoyed uh, the, these last 60 to 90 days. Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, with that level of ambition in, in your bloodline, right? I mean, obviously with ambition comes negative, with ambition comes hurdles, with ambitions comes falling down. So on your journey, if you can kind of pick whether it was an Air Force or whether while you were doing medical or when you became a sales rep or where you are right now, what is like the biggest hurdle that you had to overcome on this journey? So the biggest hurdle for me is when you know, I left the military, started my you know early career, um, I never went to college. And so early on in my sales career, um, again, my trajectory uh, was going very, very quickly. And within five years, I was already promoted up to a regional manager spot, managing people, which is something I had never done before. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, I dug into like self-help books and um, leadership tactics. And I, I can't even begin to tell you how many mistakes I made. Um, just tons and tons of mistakes. And at that time it was difficult because I didn't realize you could learn from your mistakes. I was learning, but I didn't realize that was the key. Um, I, I didn't want to make mistakes until I realized that when you break shit, that's how you grow. Um, so once I was able to mature and grow through that process uh, and then take my, my career to the next level where I end up being a director or executive vice president. Um, now I'm in a room with Ivy league graduates Mm -hmm. you know, D1 college graduates. Um, and it was always kind of the joke. I was always the most uneducated person in the room. So um, I dug in and made myself educated. And I made myself learn the company, the products, and the sales process and things like that. So I could carry on an intelligent conversation in any room that I was in. So um, that, that was probably the biggest hurdle for me to get over. And there was probably some missed opportunities along the way. There was a few companies that tried to recruit me uh, over to their company. And when they found out that I didn't have a degree and most of these guys wanted a master's degree, mm -hmm. um, I didn't even have a bachelor's degree. And when they found out, they're like, well, we can't hire you. It's our company policy. And I'm like, so, so the fact that I actually made it up and uh, ran the entire nation for a multi-billion dollar medical manufacturer, um, 
I, I definitely defied the odds and, hmm. you know, must have impressed the right people at the right time. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting topic to, you know, talk about general education. And, you know, obviously, you know me as an education chair, right? And I'm really right. big on education, but I am not really big on systemized education, if, th if that makes sense. It's kind of like I went to college and, and I got my degrees, but I always say I got an MBA by going through the birth of fire, by working for corporations and learning their systems and coming out being paid for it and better educated for it at the same time versus sitting in a classroom applying theories that potentially are outdated. Yeah, a lot of these young kids coming out coming out of school today, my, my kids included, I've got a 14, 15, and 17-year-old, and um, I, you know, the, 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 the path is just so undefined. And if they know exactly what they want to do and, and the path it takes to get there and college is in that path, then I'm all for it. But if it's... Um, you know, if, if they, you know, my son right now is talking about being a welder um, and then even taking it further, wants to be an underwater welder. Nice. And he thinks that's really cool. So what we're doing is we sit down and look at what is what is the path look like for that position? And, you know, a traditional four year college is probably not the way to go for that career path. So we've taken a look at three or four different paths that he can take. And, and if he chooses not to go to college and take that career path, I will support him 100 percent because. I, I have so many friends that have gone to college and gotten their master's degree and in, in whatever it is their, their 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 major is, and then they don't ever work a single day in that field. Yeah. It's like a lot of people go to get an education just to have the piece of paper and then go do something they really want to do. And if people would learn early on to focus on what it is that you really want to do, and then take a few steps backwards and say, okay, how do I achieve that? Yeah. You know, why, why go to school for this? Like in your case, right? You went to school for some very specific things because you knew which direction you were headed. That's a smart decision. It wasn't my decision to begin with, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when looking back at it, 2020 being hindsight, I mean, I definitely appreciate them throwing me in, in the art school. But, you know, at the same time, like realizing that I needed more analytical data as well, too. But that, that comes with experience. It comes with time. Yeah, no, that's that's the hard thing that you can't teach anybody is time um, and the, the things you learn along the way. And I, I tell people all the time, just slow down, learn as you go. Don't rush through this stuff because, you know, 27 years for me has gone by in a flash and it's yeah, it's been amazing. Um, I, I did slow down and I learned a lot along the way. Um, I feel like I have a little bit to give back now. And, and, and I think that's why I love doing this so much because I get to educate people and, and help people and, with the networking group as well. Uh, I've helped a few people inside the SCN network with a few things in their companies. And I, I enjoy doing that. You know, when someone calls me out of the blue and says, Hey, can I ask you a question? I need help with this. I'm like, yeah, cancel the rest of my day and talk to you. Hmm. So I love it. Very cool. So, I mean, you, you brought up a, a key number about roughly 27. So like my next question is, is like the perception of being an overnight success can be a real thing. Like we're just having a general conversation, but in real, reality, how long have you been on your journey to say from air force till now? Oh gosh, close to 30 years. So, um, easily. And you know, people say overnight success, um, Obviously, people don't see the blood, sweat, and tears. They only they only see what you portray. You they only see what you put out on social media. People aren't putting the negative stuff out there, you know, not very often. So they take a look at you and your lifestyle and your company and what you've done and how you've done it. And you know, they they only see the positive that you're traveling around the country, you're doing this, you're doing that, and they don't see what it took to actually get there. Uh, and that's that's the hard part. I used to tell people all the time in my training classes is the the harder I worked, the luckier I became. And I only had one person my entire career argue with me and goes, I don't, I don't believe in luck. I'm like, I, I don't either. So if you listen to what I just said um, and get out of your head, it actually makes a lot of sense. You know, the harder I work, the luckier I become. And, you know, the harder you work, the more you do, the more opportunities present itself. And, you know, I think to, to Donnie's point this morning on one of his calls he had, you know, having intentions, taking actions and continuing to show up every single day. It's such a huge part. If, if you if you build a business and all of a sudden it's successful and then you see that company not so successful anymore, you know, that person has taken a break. They're not following those steps anymore and vice versa. If you see somebody struggling in their business and all of a sudden it takes off and they're doing well because they're intentional with their actions and doing it and showing up every day. So 
it's not that difficult of a process to understand. It's just fine tuning your process and taking action on that. So, I mean, I, I hear the words of wisdom oozing out of your, your, your skin, right? So like this next question kind of goes into that a, a little bit, thinking about it from the standpoint of time travel. And if you could go back anywhere in your journey, is there one time that you could think about that you would want to go back and maybe have a five minute conversation with yourself to put a, a fork in the road to make you or to help you get to where you are a lot faster? Yeah. So I think uh, it's, it's probably one of the best questions I've ever been asked. And I have actually thought about this. Donnie and I actually talked about this a lot. Um, I would absolutely go back early on in my career and give myself the confidence to have started my own company back then. Um, I think that's the biggest fear for people is stepping out on their own and figuring out if you can make it or not. Um, life, life has a funny way of just working things out. If you ask people, was there ever a time when you were out of money, couldn't pay a bill, didn't know where your next paycheck was coming from, something happened negative in your life, <clears throat> and how many years ago was that? Every single person has the same answer, right? Uh -huh. Somehow, some way, you made it through that difficult time. And here you are today. So I, I think if I would have had given myself the confidence to know that I could be a business owner at a young age, I, I think I would have done that a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I learned a lot on the executive side of the business for, for so many years and, and had made a lot of great relationships and friends. Um, but I'm sure I would have learned just as much on the business ownership side of the business as well. Mm -hmm. So that, that that's the only thing I would do is go back and tell myself to, you know, grow some confidence, branch out on my own sooner, and uh, enjoy the ride. So, I mean, based on what I answer, what I'm hearing is like, you know, obviously you had the desire to become an entrepreneur, but again, you hit that that hurdle of fear or or the unknown, right? So, I want to well, go you back. Know, go ahead. Yeah. No, as I was just say, life, you know, life happens. Yeah. You know, I, I did want to be an entrepreneur, and then I got married, and then I had kids, and now I've got, you know, in the executive world, right? I had a salary. I had expenses covered. I had health insurance for the family. You know what I mean? When you go into business ownership, all that gets taken away. There's no security net. There's no safety net. So for me, I thought there's no way I could do it. It's impossible. I have to be able to provide for my family. So, Got it. Got it. So let's just, just take that back, right? So going back to you on the farm, like obviously – running a farm is an entrepreneurial endeavor in itself. So I want you to kind of talk about like, where did you get some of your entrepreneurial insight from an early age? Was it like your parents running the farm or was it an uncle or aunt? Um, you know, I, I have to really, really uh, think about that there. Um, you know, we've only got one person in our entire family. I think that actually um, has been an entrepreneur over the years. Um, and then we're, we're not particularly close with, with that person in our family. So that would, they were, weren't a role model to us or anything else. I think where it comes from is seeing uh, our parents uh, struggle a little bit, um, work in the way that they worked. And, you know, they worked their tails off to provide for the three of us and give us, you know, we, I tell people all the time, we didn't, we grew up poor, but we didn't know it um, because we had so much, they gave us so much. We didn't know that other kids had, you know, 20 bikes and new clothing and stuff like that. That stuff didn't matter to us. What mattered to us was, you know, being together and a hard work ethic and things like that. So I think, I know for, for myself, especially the, the fuel to do better, whether it's an, as an entrepreneur or anything else part of my career is, is uh, you know, not wanting to live like that the way I grew up, you know, wanting to give my kids a little bit more of an opportunity to, uh, to have a little bit of a different lifestyle growing up and, and, you know, this is probably information for another segment, but now I actually regret that decision. <laughs> so, you know, I, I almost wish I could have raised my kids on a farm like I was to develop that work ethic, um, develop that, those skills and things like that. So yeah, it, it's, it's something, you know, you take a look back at things, you learn a lot of life lessons uh, from things like this. You know, you want to do this so your kids don't have to grow up like that. Uh, and then they grow up like that. And you're like, man, maybe I should have raised them on a farm like I was. Made them tough. That's, that's interesting. I mean, obviously, even the way you grew up on a farm, you had a close-knit family, right? So, and now you have your own family. And you're saying that maybe if you could have done things differently, maybe you would have. So let's talk about like your current family life. I mean, how do you currently manage what you're doing in the business world and what you learn growing up on the farm, being a tight-knit family? Like, how, do you, how are you doing that with your family now? 
Yeah. So it's, I think it's important. Um, so my, my kids, um, you know, there's three words that I say to them all the time. If I, if anybody asks my kids, Hey, you know, is your dad's taught you one thing? What is it? And it's figure it out. <clears throat> and, um, they come to me and ask a question, whether it's about schoolwork, whether it's about a friend, a, a situation, whatever it is, the first thing out of my mouth is figure it out. You know, what, what is the problem? How can we solve this problem? Instead of just doing a Google search and someone give you the answer, because um, it may not be the right answer. Uh, let's take a look at what, what, you know, what's the problem? I want them to problem solve because that's the rest of their life. That's what they're going to do. Um, I, I enjoy working hard. They know how hard I work. They see that I work hard. Uh, I've heard my kids before in another room, their, their friends will ask them, hey, what does your dad do? Like, I don't really know, but I know he's in that office like 14 hours a day. So, you know, when he comes out to get something to eat or get comes out to get something to drink, we always get a chance to say hi to him. So um, we and then I also, you know, for personal time and things like that, our kids have been on, I think, 13 cruises and been all over the United States doing some cool stuff. We take a lot of time to spend together as a family because, again, that's, that's what we did as kids. And uh, we have game night every Tuesday night at my place and we play board games and stuff like that with my kids and their friends. And, you know, I try to recreate situations that I remember, you know, cause for us, it was every Sunday night watching the Disney movie hmm. and whatever Disney movie was on every Sunday night at 7 PM. I, I, I vividly remember all of us, all five of us gathering in the living room to sit down and watch that movie. So, and of course we made Donnie sit in the front because he was the remote control. He had to get on his hands and knees and walk back and change the channel and the volume and everything else because there were no remote controls back then. So, and you wonder why he curses as much as he curses now, right? Oh, I could, I, yeah, I, I could fill up an entire segment with a, with Donnie's story. So, you know, <laughs> buddy, something I you're talking about like like habits, right? And so, like, what what is your morning routines? Your morning habits look like? Yeah, so my morning routine's been the same for a long time. I I, I wake up very quickly. Uh, I don't drink coffee. <clears throat> I drink uh, iced tea and every once in a while a, a diet soda or something, but I don't drink coffee. I don't need it. Uh, when I wake up, I'm wide awake. Um, so I have a process in, in which I, I get up and I get dressed for the day. Um, it's a little bit different, I guess now, because you know, working from home and everything else, I'm in, you know, t-shirt and jeans or t-shirt and shorts. But for the longest time throughout my career, I was told early on, uh, even if you're staying home, get dressed, like you're going out to see a client. Um, it just puts you in the right mindset to, to do work that day. <clears throat> so I did every morning I'd get up, take a shower, get dressed. And the first thing I do is always go through, um, the stuff that I actually didn't want to do that day. Uh, I go through and delete all the junk email out of my email. I go through social media and see what's important. I do my LinkedIn, uh, replies and, and posts on the days that I do those. I reply to emails. I check my calendar. It's the last thing I do before I step into my next routine for the day. But I check my calendar. I write down all my appointments on a piece of paper. And then I do some research. I research every single person I'm talking to that day, them and their company. Uh, I want to make sure I, I know them because that, that, that's what I care about. I care about their company, their business, learning more about them and, and how we can help each other. So, um, yeah, that takes me a couple of hours to get through that routine, everything else. Then, I, and then my day starts with seven to nine video calls a day. Wow. So I jump into those and get those done. And, um, you know, I, I love doing it. And you know, some, some are virtual coffees, some are demos for the software, some are connecting with uh, colleagues, some are networking groups. Um, so I try and have a little bit of a mix. Uh, I, I definitely have a little bit of ADD. So uh, if I did all demos on Monday and all VCs on Tuesday, I'd, I'd lose focus real quick. So I, for me, mixing it up uh, the way I do work, works for me. Uh, that's definitely interesting. Cause, I mean, obviously earlier on you were saying that you didn't graduate from, from college, right? But you're saying that, you know, you did your due diligence, you did a lot of research and even part of your morning routines, you're doing the research about the clients before you talk to them. So that, that kind of leads me to kind of think like you, you're kind of like a bookworm to a certain extent. So my next question is like, if you could remember in that 30 year span, like what's the, the, the book or multiple books that kind of helped you to kind of get you to where you are that you would like to recommend? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I can remember the exact titles of the books, but I have about 36 to 40 self-help books in my in my library. Um, they're all highlighted, marked up with a Sharpie, notes all over the place. And the one thing I, I will say about 
all of the books. Um, some have been good, some have been great, some have been bad. Um, but I, I learned early on to take away a small nugget from everything that I dove into. Um, you can't go out and just adopt somebody else's style or strategy 100% because you've got to dial it into your personality. So, you know, being able to take a, um, a chunk of small information from multiple uh, sources has, has, I think, helped me with how I do things. And then I am, I am a, a sponge. So when I am in a room with um, people that I admire, people that I respect, people that I want to become like, um, I, 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 I write down you know, what they're talking about, what they're saying. I ask them questions. What are they reading? How did they learn that? Uh, you can ask the people that I've worked for and reported to the last 20 plus years um, that I, I never stop asking questions. I'm always inquisitive. I always want to learn. Uh, it, it's important to me. So uh, again, I, I think I started off, you know, without the college education, I'm, I'm always in the back of the pack to start. But by the time the race is over, I'm right there at the finish line with everybody. So I just got to work a little bit harder than most of those guys to, to get there sometimes. Yeah, but I think in your case, experience trumps um, education, right? I mean, obviously, you lived the life, you talk the talk, you walk the walk, you earned the certificates, and you've earned the achievements. So, I mean, with that, have you had an opportunity to author a book, or are you thinking about writing a book as of yet? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I've thought about it um, I, I, until, you know, maybe a couple months ago. I never thought I actually had the uh, the amount of information inside my head to do something like that. Um, but now getting involved, especially the SCN group, um, yeah, it's crossed my mind that uh, maybe there is more up there than I thought. Maybe I did retain a little bit more information um, from sources and books and people that, that, that I thought I did the last 27 years. So, so yeah, I think uh, at some point, um, um, I, I, you know, I don't want to do what everybody else has done. I want to do something new. I want to do something relevant. Um, so yeah, I've actually, I wrote down a goal, um, to actually potentially put out my first book, you know, sometime next year. Nice. Nice. Do you yeah. have a title yet? I, I, I don't, um, or a topic. I, I, yeah, I, I think the topic is going to be, cause I think with the journey I'm going through now is, you know, I was, I was raised in the hard nose, ABC, always be closing, um, cutthroat, go in, grab the deal. And then, okay, thank you. Where's the next deal? Right. And so it's cut, tear off, go do the next deal. And, you, and, you, and that's, that's how I was, I was trained for the most part. Um, now teaching an old dog, new tricks is, is not easy. Right. Um, that sales approach is very foreign to people now. And instead of selling, you know, business to business or people to business, you're selling people to people. So, my approach now is, has become uh, relationships, learning about people's companies, their businesses, their families, figuring out how we can support them. But then most importantly, figuring out how I can help their business grow. Because if I can help their business grow, they're going to want to do, do business with me in return. And that's where the strongest relationships come from. So I think that if I was going to choose some sort of a subject for the book, it's probably going to relate to, you know, even a guy like me that's been trained the, the wrong way his entire career can it's never too late to start down the right path and, and, and adapt and overcome. Um, it, it's, it, it's difficult. It's extremely difficult. Interesting. So, I mean, with that, I mean, obviously you've used probably several dozen different tools in your career and obviously you're, you're pretty much an owner of a SaaS platform. So on a day to day, I mean, what tools are you using to maintain your composure and maintain your sanity? Something that, that if you didn't have, you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing right now. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, it, honestly, this is just my natural thing. And I, I've never, you know, uh, never been, one that had to, to, to talk myself into becoming calm or, mm -hmm. or uh, friendly or anything else. And I think that's been my, my biggest benefit. The reason for my success has been my personality. Um, you know, I've always been a person that wanted to create more friends. And, um, you know, the, the, the old adage now, right, it's friends want to buy from friends. That wasn't around 27 years ago. No one taught me that. It's just it's just, it's just part of my personality. And I think making uh, some very deep relationships. I mean, I, I have customers that have done 
you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars of business with me over the last 20 plus years. Uh, we've gone on family vacations together. They've stayed at my place. They come here to Florida to visit and, and stay with me now for events uh, or just to go to the beach. And, you know, these are people that are customers. These aren't people you're supposed to be, you know, especially back in, in that day, right? You're not supposed to be that close with those people, but I was, I always was. Mm. So it's, uh, it's, you know, I knew my true identity a long time ago. Um, and I think staying true to that is, is how, you know, how I do it. So no, no supplements needed. That's definitely fascinating. So, I mean, talking about your, your clients, right. And you're saying that you like clients to essentially be your friends or you have to grow into some kind of friendship. So right now, ideally, who is your ideal avatar? Um, avatar, you mean as far as like client? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, you're saying like you're looking for friendships, but the other side, you're looking for a particular type of business. So the overlap is the infusion of these two. So I mean, who, who's that person or guy or gal? What what defines them? What, what does their company profile look like? Yeah. So uh, we work really, really well with, with staffing agencies. But inside that staffing agency, um, the HR, the human resource person that's completely overworked, Mm-hmm. Um, completely overwhelmed with the, 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 the responsibility that they have. Um, those are the people that I want to develop relationships with because we, we can, I can help them in so many ways outside of my company. Mm-hmm. Um, I can help them with, with, with several things, but even with my company, um, the things that we can do, the things that we can outsource, the, the programs we can put in place to make their life manageable. Um, it is where we hit a home run. The, um, you know, we, I've worked with so many of these HR professionals here lately, and um, I can't tell you how many notes that I get from them, right? Saying, Mal, I, we, sh- we should have switched to this three months earlier when you first told, told us about it, as you've completely changed the profile of our company. It's just now my HR staff is freed up to do what they're supposed to do, and that's their human resources responsibilities. Um, most human resources are getting pulled into different directions, doing so many of these projects around hiring people. And that's not, mm-hmm. you know, HR, they're there to, to do that function, but that's not their only function. But most HR professionals will tell you 90% of their time is spent on, you know, compiling the information and finding the candidates to, to go to work for their company. Mm-hmm. So, I'm hoping to give them that freedom back and give them that time back and, and show them just how, how great of a job that we can do and, and then I can do to help them uh, find that success. Interesting. So let's stay on that a little bit more, right? So let's say you have an opportunity to talk to an HR professional and they're listening to this podcast and you're telling them that they're your ideal customer and, and potentially your ideal friend as well. What words of insight would you give to them to kind of help them on their journey to continue forward? Well, I, you know, the, the, the first thing I, I talked to them about is, you know, outsourcing some of the stuff that chews up a, a large amount of time. Um, and there's no return of investment on, on this amount of time. So we, we have created a, a way to do employment verification, education verification, military service verification, uh, and also personal and professional reference verifications. So if you think about the amount of time an HR uh, person has to uh, dial phone numbers, you know, to, to verify your employment for the last three or four companies and then verify your education through the multiple universities or wherever you went to school and then verify that your personal references or professional references. Um, that's a lot of time that they're taking on the phone. So we outsource that for them. And, you know, these HR professionals are getting a couple of hours back every single time something like that comes across their plate. So... And it's not, it's not really even that expensive to go out and grab that information and, uh, and turn that around. So but I guarantee you, if you take the amount of time that person is spending doing that and then look at it, what it costs for you to do it through us, mm-hmm. we'll probably end up saving you money based on what you're paying that HR professional to do it. Now, if you're, if you're grabbing two hours a day, 10 hours a week, 40 hours a month, what projects can you put that HR person on that helps benefit the company and the, the direction of that company versus just being on the phone verifying information. Wow. So. Very cool. Very cool. So that's, that's usually the impact statement that we make to the HR professionals up front. And, you know, we don't even talk about the background side of it. So we kind of, I kind of roll on that. And, 
Hmm. And it usually, usually goes over pretty well. Cool. So let's say we're still talking to them, right? Like, how do they get in contact with you? Like, what's your website, you know, your social media profile handles? Yeah, so uh, we are www.easyactus.com uh, is our website. Um, my, You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find Easy Actus on LinkedIn. Um, that's really our only social uh, profiles at this time. We're in the process of building out the rest of them. Um, Keith at easyactus.com. You can go right to the website and click on uh, um, register. You can click on learn more. Uh, it'll bring you right back to me or somebody in my company uh, and send a question. You can find me on LinkedIn, ask any question you want, send me an email. You can call me. Um, however you want to get in touch with me, um, more than happy to, to field those calls and, uh, and answer any questions that we can. Nice. So then that leads us to the bonus round. Got a couple of funnest bonus questions for you. Right. And, and I'm thinking if you could be a superhero, who would it be and why? Ooh, good question. A superhero. Um, I think I would be the Incredible Hulk, because um, I've already got some of the size, you know, built in. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. That's a good. No one's ever asked me that question. That's a, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think, uh, man, you know, you, you think about who you want to be as a superhero, then you think about the, all the negative consequences that come along with it. So. You know, maybe I would want to be the invisible man so I can just disappear whenever I wanted. Nice. Very nice. It's one of those questions, man. Like as a recruiter, I used to ask that question pretty frequently. And it used to kind of give me a dial in to kind of figure out the personality type I was dealing with. Like someone that was sure. more of a, a Batman person was more resourceful. Someone that was more Superman was more a type personality. And like literally nine out of 10 times, they always would stack up to, to those personas. Yeah. 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 yeah so that's awesome. Another bonus question for you. Um, if you could spend 24 hours with anyone, dead or alive, uninterrupted for those 24 hours, who would it be and why? Oh, I've been very, we, we have been very lucky that we haven't lost a lot of uh, uh, family members uh, in our, our lives. Um, but if, if I could spend 24 hours with one person, it would be my uncle, uh, Brian, my mom's uh, older brother. Uh, he was probably one of the most successful uh, people in our family, uh, was an executive vice president for um, Bank of America uh, in the real estate division. Uh, any, any real estate loan that came in in excess of uh, 10 or $15 million, his division was in charge of. Uh, he sat on the board for uh, some major corporations, um, including uh, GMC at one point. And... Uh, he had some great stories. Um, the guy had obviously an incredible sense of business uh, and understanding. And you know, er early on in my career, before he passed away, we we talked on a monthly basis, and he used to guide me. You know, a lot of the things I was doing and how I was doing and everything else. And yeah, uh, he I would definitely love to spend another twenty four hours with him one more time. Nice, very nice. So going into to closing, I mean, obviously you've been on a few different podcasts over the years. And as a podcast, I like to give the opportunity, whoever I'm interviewing, opportunity to host my show. So the Boston Cage podcast is yours. You're now the host and I'm your guest. Do you have any questions that you'd like to ask me? Yeah, I got a lot of questions I'd like to ask you. So um, first of all, I, I'd, I'd like to know what you're looking for. What kind of an audience member does the best podcast and the easiest for you to work with? And if I wanted to help you out with your company, because it's what I love doing, who is your biggest target and why? Gotcha. So that's two part question. First part of that question, essentially, after doing this podcast going on three years, it, it, it comes to be more so not necessarily startup founders, but just CEOs and executives and entrepreneurs that have like that founder's edge to it. Just like, like you, for example, I mean, obviously you were in corporate America, you became an entrepreneur and now like you're founding and building this whole 
platform, the SaaS platform. And I think those people, they have so much to deliver. And I'm just recapping in my head, like the last 12 months of all the interviews that I've done, which is, you know, a couple hundred of them. And literally every single time, no matter what that platform is or what that software is, they always deliver a unique story, a unique message. And it's always inspirational, no matter if they're a multimillionaire, billionaire, or if they're only at a hundred thousand, every single time they deliver inspiration. That's awesome. Yep. So that's the first part. The second part of that, like being based upon that answer, what I'm really looking for right now essentially is um, I always describe it as startup founders that are not necessarily tech savvy, right? Not to say that they don't understand tech. They understand the value of tech, but they more have the investor mindset of like, okay, I'm going to put a couple million dollars into this and then I'm going to sell it and grow it and scale it. But they're not 100% focused on the day-to-day development, like a developer looking at the code and trying to figure out that side of the business. They're more so trying to sell and scale the business. I think that individual not only is a good person for my show, but also a great client because now we have that left brain and right brain constantly pulling and pushing and working together to get the best foot moving forward. Yeah, that's awesome. It's perfect. What other questions you got? There was, yeah, last question for you. The one celebrity you would love to meet. Wow. Shit. There's there's probably dozens I could list off the top of my head, but at the, right off the top I could think about right now. Well, give me your top three. Jay Z, Elon Musk, and who was sitting that third seat? <laughs> <laughs> that was not, tough when you think about it, you know. It's extremely tough. I mean, Jay Z. So many people you can, so many people you can put in that seat. Yeah, I mean. Elon Musk is kind of like an obvious choice just because I just think he's on the spectrum and he just is able, his brain is able to think like most people can't think. I think Jay-Z is, is a good example of growing up in the same state and, 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 you know, kind of growing from like rags to riches from like the hood and then turning that into like a multi-billion dollar business and industry. And he's very shrewd in the business person. That's why I love Jay-Z. And uh, the, the third person, I would probably have to like time travel back to probably be like somebody like Einstein because Einstein is just kind of like... The way he thinks is completely different than Elon, completely different than anyone else. And his theories still hold up to this day to a certain extent. So it's just kind of like, what would it look like for me to sit down at a round table with Jay-Z, Elon Musk, and Einstein, and all of us are throwing back some shots of whiskey and bourbon? You got, you got me on the bourbon, man. I love it. Yeah. Well, I think we didn't even talk about that. I mean, let's just talk about that for a minute, like before we close out, <laughs> man. Don't you have like like 100,000 followers in like a bourbon group somewhere? Like. Yeah, so the, the the four founding fathers of a company called Bourbon Nation, uh, the single largest private Facebook group in the world dedicated to bourbon, and we have yeah, just right at a hundred thousand people that um, religiously follow us. Um, and I say religiously because we have not posted any content in more than two years. It's good. It's one hundred percent community driven, nice. and um, it, it's 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 a great way to research. Um, bourbon, what people are drinking, where they're, where they're getting it, what they're finding, what they're paying for it. If you are taking a vacation, going on a trip and uh, you want, you're going to this Virginia beach, for example, and you want to know what's the best restaurant in the area that does a good smoked old fashioned yeah. or something of that nature, you'll have 60, 70 people reply to you within an hour. So it's a great community of people. It's a lot of education. Um, a lot of opinions <laughs> on how bourbon should be drank. Um, yeah, but the, the one thing I've taken away from that group uh, more than anything else is that everyone's palate is different. Mm-hmm. To each their own, drink what you enjoy. Hmm. On that note, I, I think definitely anyone that listens to this podcast, drink what you enjoy. And I think they definitely enjoyed what you delivered today. I mean, you gave us so much insight. I think you told a hell of a different story that's not only heartwarming, but also inspirational as well. And I definitely appreciate you being on the show today. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me. This was a blast. Uh, I'd love to do it again sometime. And, uh, and, and again, thanks for having me. Well, I think the next time we should do it, I think doing you and your brother at the same time should be an interesting kind of bring, bring him back and bring you back. At the that, same time. that might break the internet. <laughs> <laughs> It only makes sense. I mean, we'll start off with FFF and then we'll go from there, right? So. Yeah, yeah. We'll make sure we're both uh, we're both virtual. Otherwise, we'll probably kill each other. Yeah, well, I think we, we should definitely do bourbon on, on that episode for sure. Everyone yeah. got their favorite bottle. Well, he's he's, he's going to want to do rum. 
He can oh, do yeah. his rum. Yeah. You, you, you and I can stick to the good bourbon stuff. Yeah, I keep it. He's a spicy rum kind of guy. Float his boat, man. But I definitely appreciate you being on the show, man. It was great having you. You got it, man. I had a great time. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an uncaged trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.